Hello, welcome to the Golf 4 Podcast, a show all about education and inclusion. I'm Richard Ingram. As the UN puts it, the Sustainable Development Goals are the blueprint to achieve a better and more sustainable future for all. The SDGs address the global challenges we face, from poverty and inequality to climate change, environmental degradation and the global learning crisis. So why do so few people know about them? And what role can governments, international organisations and corporations play in both spreading the word about the goals and in helping us to achieve them? Joining me to talk this through is Deborah Rue. As a global disability inclusion strategist, market influencer, published author and successful entrepreneur, Deborah consults with Fortune 100 companies and nations including Kenya, Oman, Saudi Arabia and China. Her and her daughter Sarah are internationally renowned global keynote speakers and travel the world inspiring and advocating for governments and corporations to include people with disabilities. Please do check out the links in the show notes for more information on Deborah's work, plus the organisation, Billion Strong. Deborah Rue, welcome to Goal 4. Thank you. I'm very excited and what a wonderful topic. Well, thanks for joining. I'm excited to have you on the show. First question, why should we all care about the Sustainable Development Goals? Why should people care about the the Sustainable Development Goals? There are just so many reasons to care about the SDGs. Um, the, The reason why I think people should care about it is because as a world, We've come together and we've decided that we have 17 goals. Now, there are so many problems in the world, but still, okay, give me 17 things. Let's have clean water. Let's have decent jobs. Let's have education that's for everyone. Let's collaborate. It seems like we should care about it because our world is such a mess and we can sit around and complain about what's wrong with it, or we can join other like-minded people and say, let's work together and solve the biggest problems that are impacting the planet and the people and all the other inhabitants. So I really think there's nothing more important than focusing on these goals together. There are a lot of problems in the world and we've chosen 17 things to focus on. Do you think this is the framework for trying to fix all of those problems? Well, I I think whether or not it is this, which you did not say, a single framework, but I think it is a framework. And I think it's something that a lot of countries are trying to work towards. We see more corporations showing leadership and wanting to really help. And I think it is the best framework that I've seen to date And one reason why I think it's such a good framework is because of goal 17. We have to work together. We have to partner. We have to collaborate. So I think it's a good framework. And I haven't seen another framework that makes as much sense to me. Uh, But also at the same time, I think a lot of people aren't really taking it seriously, certainly here in the United States where I'm living too. And why is that? I I think there's a lot of reasons. I think some of it is that the United States has a weird relationship with the United Nations. We in the United States, um, I think we pay about 35% of the UN budget. And um, during one of our, well, one of our presidents that wasn't one of my favorite presidents, we were um, actually trying to not be partners with the United Nations, which is ridiculous. And so I think 
some of the reasons why Americans don't know about it is because um, of the confusion with the United Nations. I think also some reason why we don't understand and know about it is because um, there are a lot of problems, a lot of beauty, a lot of wonderful things happening in the United States, but the problems are so intense right now that the Americans can barely look up away from their trauma to see what's happening outside the world. So I think there's a lot of reasons why Americans aren't taking it as seriously as we should, but I join many other leaders trying to really make Americans wake up and say, no, 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 no. Let's all do this together. We're one world. We're, we're one people. Let's figure out how to solve these biggest problems together. But I think we're just so traumatized by our own problems right now. Well, I think that's the case, not just in America, right? I think you can go to a lot of countries, including here in the UK. You could, I could step outside my house now, walk down the street and ask people, what are the SDGs? What's SDG five? What's SDG eight? Not many people will have heard a lot about them. Do you think more can be done to to get them in the in the popular uh, lexicon a little bit more than they are? I do think a lot more could be done, but I will say. Uh, as a big fan of the United Nations and all the agencies of the UN, I don't think the UN does a very good job about talking about what they're doing right. Or what, uh, I just don't think they do a good job of marketing and branding their programs. I don't think they've done a good job of really showing the world what the SDGs could do for us all. And by the way, I'm not, even though it sounds like I might be criticizing the UN, I'm not really because I really think that's all of our jobs to do that. But I think what, if I were the UN, I would do, I would um, try to humanize the SDG goals in a different way than they've done. Um, because I just think a lot of the efforts, it feels like we're just speaking to each other and it's not widening the net and getting it out more into the populations of why should we as people care about the SDG goals? I just don't think that there's been enough really good press around it, which is why I was very excited to hear about your podcast. I was like, oh, yay, yay, because I just don't think we're talking about it enough to really humanize it and get enough of the population to understand what it is and why we all need to do it together. So I think it's a, a marketing opportunity for the United Nations. <laughs> Let's talk about, I mean, this show is about SDG4 primarily, which is the one that's all about education. But we do um, talk about how this relates to all of the other SDGs, because of course they are connected. In your work, you advocate for the full inclusion of persons with disabilities around the world. How does this tie in with uh, the SDGs and in particular, uh, goal number four? Well, goal number four is such an important goal. It's all about education. How can we educate ourselves to be better corporate citizens, better, better, um, I shouldn't say corporate citizens, better citizens across the board? Um, I, I think it's, you know, it's just so important that we, once again, when you have a big problem, what do you do to solve that problem? Well, a lot of times how I do it is I break it into smaller pieces and try to organize those pieces as they, they say, how do you need an elephant, which you shouldn't eat elephants, but well, one bite at a time, right? So breaking it down into consumable pieces to where we can understand what we're talking about and then enough of us get together to move it forward. So education 
is so critical. And it's at a time when education is very confusing um, for many countries. I know it's very confusing right now in the United States where we charge um, people to go to college and we charge a lot of money. So if you don't have money, oh, well, too bad. You don't get to be educated. So I think there's a lot of confusion about education. And also, what do we even talk about when you say the word education? Are we talking about you know, preschool? Are we talking about K through 12? Are we talking about transitioning into college? Are we talking, right? So if you just think about the immensity of that word. It's a huge word. But once again, you take complicated, gigantic problems that we know we have and you put them into categories and then you hopefully take the like-minded people to get together that care about that category, but at the same time, all of the other categories. So we support each other to truly solving the problems. And, and maybe I sound a little bit of Pollyanna here. And um, I am an optimist, Richard, but I still think to solve a problem, you break it into pieces and then you pull together to solve the problems. But you cannot try to solve um, the SDG4 without considering the other SDGs. And I think that's part of it. That's part of the opportunity, once again, that we all have of not only getting the word out about the SDGs, but also taking steps to actually have impact towards these goals, true impact. I, I just think it's critical, but we got to do that together. An example might be education links very closely to healthcare. You know, lots of studies have shown that if children are healthy, then they are more likely to be able to go to school. It also works the other way. If children are educated, they're more likely to have access to good healthcare. So these positive feedback loops and so on. Are there any more examples you can think of of how the of how SDG four can be seen as interrelated to the other SDGs? Oh, once again, I, I just think SDG4 is critical. And so the SDGs certainly relate to decent work because if we really want to work, we have to be educated. We, we, you know, we have to learn our trades, our skills. And, um, but you look at 17, you know, the collaboration goal. It's all the one that we all partner and work together and pull together. Um, you know, everything is about education. You know, if you look at the one that, and I, I don't have all of my numbers memorized, but um, the one with the clean seas and, you know, considering the animals, I mean, all of it, education has a place to a play because um, and like you said, if children are hungry when they come to school and they haven't eaten in a few days, it impacts their education. If people don't have access to the technology or the accommodations they need, it's going to impact their education. If we don't include all the different pieces um, together so that we are at least considering them. And so let, let me just ground it because I think I'm speaking too esoterically. So I, I was telling you before we started the show that I work a lot with disability inclusion at the corporate level, really helping corporations understand why we should be included, how they should include us, how you should accommodate us, how to consider your customers with disabilities, making sure that your services and your products are fully accessible, all of that stuff. Okay. But if you're not educating people to work in these positions, 
then, then we're going to fail. If you're not continually educating them, they can't continue to grow in their positions. So, but often in these conversations I'm having, the educators are not included in these conversations. We see the corporate leaders, we see governments, we see NGOs, but I do not see education often in these conversations. And I think it's just, I, I think that's, we're not going to build an inclusive society by leaving big groups of us out. That's interesting because it brings me to my next question very nicely. So, which is what steps should corporate government and NGO leaders take to assure their organizations are meaningfully considering the SDGs in their local, national and global efforts? Well, what we're seeing happen now, and, and thank you, thank you, corporations, we appreciate this. We're seeing them start to address it in their ESG or their corporate social responsibility, or, you know, they, there's different names for this. But in their, their year-end reporting, we're starting to see them more talk about the SDGs. We also see groups like the World Economic Forum or the WHO or the World Bank, some of the big leaders that have so many moving parts and so many different people that are involved, we see them talking about it more and including into their conversations. So I think the more that we're actually seeing the, corp the corporations start talking about the SDGs, tying it to their social good. What are you doing to help the planet? Oh, you know, as, as they're introducing it into their, um, you know, their reporting and their data, I think more people are starting to pay attention to it from that aspect. I'd like to see them do more though. So that's a good start that we're starting to see. The corporations understand society's um, expectations of them have changed and that um, we want them to be good corporations that are not hurting us. We want you to actually be adding value to the world. And a lot of the younger people just are not gonna work for corporations that they perceive are bad corporations. So I think, the opportunity that corporations have is they tell us what you're doing to not hurt our planet or the people. Um, doing it more than just your year in reporting. We also want to see you at conferences. We want to see you at UN events. We want to see you really, we want to see the CEOs writing books about this. And so I think there's a lot more that could be done, but we're starting to see the corporations understand the value of the beginning to speak about it. So you're starting to see it a lot more. What do you think will really is really pushing that move? And what do you think can push it further? I mean, why, why from a corporation's point of view, would they want to be involved in this? You mentioned the fact that young people are now wanting to work for corporations that care about this stuff. Is it also the fact that big companies and corporations can can now publicly say, uh, we're doing this to help the planet, we're going carbon neutral and so on and so on? You see this all over the place now. A lot of it's perhaps uh, being slightly negative, could be considered greenwashing in yes. some areas. Yes. yes, in a lot of the areas, sorry. But in sorry, a lot of the areas. Yeah, sorry to absolutely. be cynical, but... <laughs> yeah, no, no, I think so. Um, but that aside, do you think what drives their movement with this the most is, is, the, uh, is the sort of profit and the revenue side of things? Do you think that's how you get corporations on side? 
Well, I think that what's happening now, and and I think um, we all are seeing this, but as the world, um, the world obviously has changed dramatically. We don't know, a lot of us can't predict what's happening next. You see massive layoffs happening in the technology, you know, arena, which we haven't seen before, but we're also... I think there's a lot of us that are suspicious of the the these tech companies that are so quick to lay off. And so I think the distrust that people are having now of these big corporations is bigger than ever before. I'll just tell you a funny to me, it was a funny story. Once again, I'm an American. I even though I'm very well traveled, I have always lived in the United States. And I remember going over to the EU um, where the United States had adopted this law called Section 508, was about, which was about accessibility. We still have that law, part of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. But regardless, there was going to be similar laws that were going to be considered in Europe. And so we as Americans came over to the EU to put in our little two cents to say, oh, what we suggest you do is you do it like we did it. Well, the Europeans had much different ideas (laughs) than the way the Americans were doing it. And one thing that I saw that I had not witnessed before, so I was surprised by, was how distrustful a lot of the people attending those events were of corporations. They were so distrustful and they were like, no, we don't trust them. They won't do the right thing. No. Whereas in America, people like me and others had said, oh no, they're going to do the right thing. We trust them. They'll do it. And they'd actually done a lot of things right. But at the same time, um, we learned to distrust corporations in the United States years later. So now we totally don't trust them. So I think what's happened is as the world becomes distrustful of corporations and working for corporations and the younger people see how what they're doing and how they're hurting our planet or how they're sexually abusing women and yet nobody does anything about it or they're only hiring people that look like a certain person you know there more and more what um, Paul Pullman the former uh, CEO of Unilever was saying is now you see conscious quitting Conscious quitting. Now, Richard, who do you think consciously quits? These are your best employees. You're your innovative employees. These are your employees that really care and they want to work for a brand that makes a difference. So, but more and more, we're seeing the younger people say, I don't care. I'm not going to be trapped by you like you trapped my parents. I'm not going to be treated that way. And so I think there's just a major evolution happening here. And the corporations know that too. And they're freaked out because they don't know how to do business as usual. Usually when the financial times get really scary, immediately they're going to start cutting DEI programs, accessibility programs, training programs, any good, any social good or social social justice. This time they haven't been as fast to cut them because they know the expectations of society has changed. But, you know, there's still a whole lot that has to unfold. But I believe something is happening that's important. And you've taken that belief and you've, I mean, you're doing more than most of this area. You've created a nonprofit organization called Billion Strong to support persons with disabilities to come together with pride and explore their identities. How do you tie these efforts to the sustainable development goals in the context of what we were talking about earlier? 
Well, and that's a great question. I um, I have heard people say, and I've said this as well, that of the 11, I'm sorry, of the 17 SDG goals, 11 of them directly impact people with disabilities. And I always thought that was interesting because to be honest, I think all 17 of those impact people with disabilities. All 17 of those goals impact human beings. All 17 of those goals impact our planet, right? So it's like, I... I I always find it interesting when people try to start cutting and moving around the SDGs because actually they need to stay together. We need to consider all of these aspects when we're solving any big problems. Um, when you're solving this education problem, you're not going to somehow tie it down into that it's going to hurt our oceans, right? And unfortunately, I could give you some examples of how that could happen, right? So Considering them all, I think, is very, very important. And to, and once again, we talked about this a little before we started the call, but be part of the solution. Don't just sit around and complain about what's wrong because there's so much wrong, but be part of the solution. Well, I don't know how to solve the problem, so Deborah, well, then go and talk to Richard and see, Richard, what are you doing? How are you helping? Oh, you're going to help Richard by getting your PhD. You're going to help by working in the field. And you're going to help by creating a program where you talk to leaders about these topics so that we can all have a better understanding. That's a good idea, right, Richard? So I think it's coming back to we all have personal responsibility here. And the work that we're doing, we see a lot of people in positions of responsibility that perhaps don't uh, make make the best use of that responsibility, should right. we say, in a in the most right. diplomatic way possible. And you know, these these people have the the power to, to to get up and to to do stuff. You know, go to the department down the corridor, form right. these new connections, make these links, get things done, and innovate. It's um. Yeah, it's really interesting to see. And it's great to see when it happens. And it sounds like I'm saying that this stuff doesn't happen. It happens a lot all the time. I think it just needs right. to, to happen more. Um, I think so too. And with the, the, the organization like Billion Strong, I mean, is a fantastic example of that. Yeah, thank you so much. I will tell you, I, I will confess, because I imagine a lot of the people that listen to your show and will listen to your show are going to be people like us, Richard, in that they really want to make a difference in the world, even a small difference. You know, I always say to somebody, you want to make a difference when you're going through a shopping line with a real person, put your phone down and say, hello, how are you? You know, I mean, there's small ways that you can make a difference. You don't know what people are walking. But I think the opportunity is do something to make a difference. And let's not assume because somebody is, you know, younger that they don't have anything to add, any value to add either. Because I think that's something, when I was a young woman, which I'm not anymore, but when I was, I was constantly being told to sit down and let the grownups talk till I was well in my 30s, my late 30s. I was still being treated like I was a little kid. Well, I think those days are gone. Take the time to ask an 11-year-old how we could solve some of these SDG goals. Tell them what the SDGs goals are. But I just... I'm being silly, but at the same time, Richard, I think some of the way we've been doing things in the past, we have to stop doing that. And we have to say, oh, look, Richard's in the conversation. When when you reached out to me and I saw what you were doing, I was like, oh, yes, absolutely. I want to talk to you because this is our this is how we're going to solve the problems together. Richard, this is get in there and roll up your sleeves, learn what the SDGs are and what are you going to do to help us? Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) 
I love it. It's great. Um, I want to know about you now. How did you get into this into this world? You're a global disability inclusion and accessibility strategist focused on reducing the digital divide and implementing the SDGs. Where did this start for you? Oh, thank you, Richard. You know, I I think it started for me. Um, I had a very unhappy mother. My mother had a lot of mental health issues and she was always so sad. And I remember even as a little kid trying to make my mom happy. And so you can't make somebody else happy. I, I've, I've figured that out finally. But it started, I would say the biggest start for me was when my daughter was born. I, when I was 28 years old, I gave birth to a perfect, perfect, beautiful baby girl um, who some people said wasn't perfect because she had Down syndrome. But by the way, they were wrong. She did have Down syndrome, but she's still perfect. And I was just really discouraged how society treated. It's like, instead of me giving birth to this beautiful baby girl, I, everybody felt sorry for me. My life was a tragedy. And I remember being so sad by that because I thought, well, wait a minute. Why don't we give her a chance to see what she could do? Which, by the way, she's done great. So I would, I imagine that's where it really started for me. And I thought I didn't know anybody with a disability when I realized that I was surrounded by people with disabilities, including I found it in my 50s that I, like 65% of other business owners, am neurodiverse and I actually have ADHD. Ah, okay. That's why you're such a chatterbox, Deborah. But also <laughs> people with ADHD can make a huge difference in the world, right? because we don't know not to try to make a difference. So it started there. And then of course I realized that I was surrounded by human beings that some of them could see, some couldn't see, some could hear, some couldn't hear so well, some can move. Some days you're better than moving than others. We're human beings and we should all be included, period. It's the rich tapestry of life. Yes. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. The diversity and the beauty of our differences. Yeah. How boring would life be if, uh, if everyone was the same? Yeah. You hear it a lot, but it's so true. And um, we've tried that. Remember, we've tried only letting certain people be successful because maybe they had very light colored skin. Maybe they were male, not female. Right. We've already tried doing it the other way. Let's, it's not working. No, no. Let's try doing it where we're all included. How can we help each other we all jumped in and helped. I was talking about, I talk about the SDGs a lot, but I love 17. I love goal 17 because we have to collaborate. We have to partner. We have to help voices like yours, Richard, be heard. You have very important conversations to add and views and advice. Let's include the people that are trying to make a difference. And if you're not trying to make a difference and you just, it's all about you, that's fine. Do whatever you need to do. I'm just not going to listen to it. I'm going to go and listen to you, Richard. <laughs> well, the more the merrier. That's great. Um, I wanted to ask you finally, before I let you go, and thank you again, Deborah, for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure to speak to you. What, well, are, your, you, what are your thoughts on the future of disability inclusion and education? I think that, to be honest, that we're going to now actually have to make a shift and people aren't going to like this. But I think that what we're going to have to do, what a lot of society does not realize is how much society has been improved because of people with disabilities, because of efforts to include people with disabilities, most of that by people with disabilities themselves. We now have, you know, 
captions where everybody can participate. We have curb cuts. We There's so many things. We have the telephone, for example, because of people with disabilities. Alexander Graham Bell created the telephone, hoping that he could solve a problem that he had where his wife and I think one of his daughters was deaf. Well, he did not solve that problem, but he sure did give society some really good tools to communicate. So I think you're a lot of it is just going to unfold as long as we allow ourselves to really participate and be part of it. What can we really innovate and change? And I, I mean, it's exciting to see the possibilities. And I think I really do think that that's where we're going to go next, only because I don't think we have a choice. We're in big, big, big trouble in the world right now. And so I think there's enough of, it is, of us that are seeing it and starting to shift and change and, and collaborate to, and, and to really value each other's voices in different ways that I think what you're going to see, you won't have to in the future say, I'm a person with a disability. I'm a woman. I'm a, because it would be, un, I don't understand. Why are you telling me that? Because all humans should be meaningfully included. And if you design so that every person can be included, then you don't have to, t I don't have to tell you that I'm part of the LGBT community, for example, or I'm African-American or whatever label I need to give you so that you will include me. Hopefully, maybe we don't have to do that anymore because technology would work for everybody. We would never consider building a building that did not work for all human beings, including humans that use wheelchairs um, so or human beings that might use a cane or can't go up the steps. So we know how to do all this. We just now have to have the will to do it. And I think we have to be willing to adapt and change again as all of these, all of these things are changing, including our identities. That was Deborah Roof. My thanks to her for joining me today. I thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Goal 4, why not share it? Tell your friends. You can also subscribe. Listen to a new episode every Wednesday. I'll see you next week.